Welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Today on our weekly roundtable, we discuss Donald Trump kicking off his re-election campaign, his historic indictment, racist reactions to his indictment by his supporters, and all of the wider implications. Also, the latest on protests in Israel and the fire that killed scores of migrants in Mexico close to the U.S.-Mexico border. And Vice President Harris visits Africa. We also discuss the broader global realignment. Our panelists are Laura Carlson, Jackie Goldberg, Dr. Gerald Horn. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Christina Onestead. Donald Trump has been indicted by a Manhattan grand jury, making him the first former U.S. president to face criminal charges. The indictment yesterday stems from payments made during Trump's 2016 presidential campaign to silence claims of an extramarital affair with porn star Stormy Daniels. Media, including Reuters and CNN, report Trump faces more than 30 counts related to business fraud, citing anonymous sources. The indictment remains sealed. Trump is expected to turn himself in for arraignment next week on Tuesday. In a statement, he called the indictment a witch hunt and political persecution and election interference at the highest level in history. It could be the beginning of Trump's downfall from politics. The indictment comes amidst his presidential bid for the 2024 Republican nominee. But he faces more perilous legal threats, possibly including investigations of his role into attempts to undo the 2020 presidential election in Georgia and into his hoarding of hundreds of classified U.S. government documents. Democrats have hailed the indictment. California's Adam Schiff, who argued Donald Trump's impeachment, noted the indictment of a former president is unprecedented and said, but so too is the unlawful conduct in which Trump has been engaged. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said in a statement, Trump is subject to the same laws as every American and will be able to avail himself to a legal system and a jury, not politics. Schumer urged against outside political interference in Trump's prosecution. Republicans, though, are calling it a political move. House Speaker California Republican Kevin McCarthy called it an injustice and said he'd hold the prosecutor Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg and his unprecedented abuse of power to account, McCarthy said. The federal government is the latest to sue railroad giant Southern Norfolk over its fiery train derailment last month that spewed tons of toxic chemicals in East Palestine, Ohio. The suit seeks to hold the company accountable for unlawfully polluting the nation's waterways and to ensure it pays the price tag of the full environmental cleanup costs. Nearly two dozen lawsuits have been filed against the company by residents who say they were impacted. A judge will decide which ones to take the lead and likely make them a class action today.
Hundreds of people rallied for stricter gun safety laws at the state capitol in Nashville, Tennessee, Thursday in the wake of a mass shooting at a school that killed three children and three adults. Protesters confronted Republican lawmakers to act and chanted gun control now. Some protesters silently filled the Senate chamber's gallery, including children who held signs reading, I'm nine, a reference to the age of the three children who were killed. Most protesters were removed from the gallery after some began yelling down at lawmakers, children are dead. Online videos show police also attacking youth, blocking a doorway at the Capitol. Republicans are under increasing pressure to support an assault weapons ban, which is the gun of choice for mass shooters. Today is Trans Day of Visibility. President Joe Biden released a proclamation calling on Congress to pass the Equality Act and condemning states that have passed anti-trans legislation. Queer and trans youth across the country will participate in a march for autonomy in nearly every state today. Ellie Prickett Morgan has more. Marches will take place across all 50 states except for Wyoming, with each march being managed by local queer groups. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre says that the president supports the protest. We think it's important for Americans and people just across the country to make their voices heard, uh, just as long as it's peaceful. Uh, and we've been very clear about these anti-LGBTQ bills that we're seeing in state legislators, legislatures across the country, in particular these anti-trans bills, uh, as they attack trans kids, as they attack trans parents. Uh, it, is, it is shameful and it is unacceptable. In addition to the planned action, Queer Youth Assemble has also published a list of demands sourced from hundreds of queer youth across the country. The demands include banning conversion therapy, funding trans health research, and codifying Title IX to include sexuality, gender identity, and gender expression. For information on where to find a march, visit the Queer Youth Assemble website. I'm Ellie Prickett-Morgan. The Biden administration has condemned Russia's arrest of a Wall Street Journal reporter on espionage charges. It's the first time a U.S. correspondent has been detained on spying accusations in Russia since the Cold War. The newspaper denied the allegations and demanded his release. State Department Deputy Spokesman Vedant Patel urged other U.S. citizens in Russia to leave the country. It is not safe for U.S. citizens to be in the Russian Federation. Any U.S. citizen residing or traveling in Russia should depart immediately, as stated in our latest travel advisory. The Wall Street Journal said it vehemently denied the allegations. House Democrats have reintroduced legislation that would codify abortion rights in the U.S. Edwin Vieira reports. This is the seventh time the Women's Health Protection Act has been brought before the House of Representatives. Since gaining a majority, House Republicans have approved a series of stringent anti-abortion bills. One such bill would require healthcare professionals to preserve the life of an infant in the rare case a baby is born alive during an attempted abortion. California Democrat Judy Chu said there can't be true equality in the U.S. without reproductive freedom for all. No matter where you live, politicians would have more say about what happens to your body than you do. I'm Edwin J. Vieira for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. And this week, the Senate voted to repeal the decades-old congressional measure that greenlit the 2003 invasion of Iraq that was based on lies by the George W. Bush administration. It follows the 20th anniversary of the war. According to the Cost of War Project, upwards of 300,000 Iraqis died in that conflict. I'm Christina Onestead reporting for Pacifica Radio. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth, and it is our weekly roundtable. I would now like to welcome our panelists. 
Laura Carlson, director of the Americas program. She works with Just Associates, an international feminist organization. She's based in Mexico City, where she's a regular contributor to America's Updater, Foreign Policy and Focus, Counterpunch, and several Spanish language publications. Laura is also a television host and commentator on globalization, the drug war, immigration, and gender issues for various international news outlets. Laura, welcome. Thank you very much, Margaret. It's a pleasure to be here. All righty. I'd also like to welcome Jackie Goldberg, governing board member for the Los Angeles School Board District 5. She's a former member of the California State Assembly. Jackie Goldberg had previously served as a member of the Los Angeles City Council. Before being elected to council, she served on and was later president of the Los Angeles School Board. Jackie, welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Great to be back. All righty. Thank you, Jackie. And Dr. Gerald Horn, Moore's Professor of History and African-American Studies at the University of Houston. He's written more than 30 books and 100 scholarly articles and reviews. His latest book is The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Texas Slavery, Jim Crow, and the Roots of U.S. Fascism. Dr. Horn, welcome. Thank you for inviting me. And Dr. Horn, um, what are you working on now? Well, my next book will be out in a few weeks, speaking of revolting capital, racism and radicalism in Washington, D.C., 1900 to 2000. Wow, looking forward to that, Dr. Horn. Well, uh, we're going to start out with, uh, well, not really the elephant in the room. I mean, the historic indictment of a president of the United States. Uh, let us go now to a clip of um, Al Sharpton actually discussing this on MSNBC. Being uh, or an ordinary man, um, he has gotten away with a lot over the course of his life. Let me bring in uh, Reverend Al Sharpton, the host of Politics Nation and the president of the National Action Network. And uh, Rev, one of the things that Donald Trump has never experienced uh, is being uh, or an ordinary man. Um, he has gotten away with a lot over the course of his life, um, from when he and his father um, were able to settle out of a discrimination case about not allowing black people to rent in his buildings. Um, it's not clear he's paid taxes more than a couple of years um, in his life. He's gotten away with a lot. And a lot of his friends have gone to prison for things that they did for him. Alan Weisselberg, uh, I'm thinking of, uh, Paul Manafort, Michael Cohen, who was his lawyer. Um, you know this man. He is being very, there's a lot of bravado coming out of his social media um, now and out of his son. But how do you think he really um, will react to the idea that he is going to be booked? He has been indicted. Well, I think, first of all, uh, a lot of us are forgetting Donald Trump just a couple of days ago said this case was over. They were not going to go forward. And uh, he predicted that. Uh, th this is not going to happen. Well, it's happening. Uh, so till the last minute, he was delusional that he was still above the law and that no one could get him after saying some very bigoted and anti-Semitic statements against Alvin Bragg, saying he was a Soros-funded animal. This is what he called this man, an animal. Uh, the irony of this is twofold. There may be cases that uh, legal experts uh, say uh, appear to them more serious if 
he, in fact, is indicted in Georgia and by the feds. But this is by far the most humiliating indictment, because he's going to be booked and charged in New York. And he always would mm -hmm. say, he has said to me, that I'm an out-of-borough guy. I'm an outcast like you are, Al, when we would be fighting on different issues. You're from Brooklyn. I'm from uh, Queens. They call me and my father names them big guys, uh, downtown the Park Avenue guys, and look at me now. I'm going to be president of the United States. Well, now those guys will look at this country and say, we told you he was nothing. We told you that he was a scam artist and that he shouldn't be president. For him to have to come to Manhattan on the same island that he felt he was looked down upon by the elite in New York and be booked and confirm what all of them said about him is more humiliating than he, if he's indicted on more serious charges in other places. So this is a humiliating night for him. A couple of days after he said this was not going to happen, he said this case was over. And he's going to have to go in the same building, Joy, that those five young men that were indicted and prosecuted for rape they didn't do, while Donald Trump took ads out calling for their execution, he called for them to be executed. And they were convicted. Some of them went to jail for years. One of them, Curry Weiss, who's at National Action Network every Saturday, did 13 years in jail. They will see Donald Trump, who bought ads against them, walk in the same building they were arraigned in and be arraigned sometime next week. Okay, so we'll start with you, uh, Laura Carlson. Uh, this is huge news. Everybody, of course, all media outlets acknowledging that this is uncharted waters. This has never happened before um, where a president, a former president of uh, the United States indicted. And of course, this is um, shortly after he kicked off his reelection campaign in all places, Waco, Texas, which in itself uh, sent a message. Uh, Laura Carlson, your thoughts on, on this historic moment, um, the implications of it, and also what you are hearing, how it is playing out uh, south of the border, you're based in, uh, in Mexico City, Laura Carlson. Thanks, Margaret. It is indeed historic, and I think much of the world is incredulous, although they've become used to uh, unusual behavior from Donald Trump, the Mexican newspaper says, for now, all indications are that the presidential race in the United States will include a candidate facing criminal charges, mismanagement of state secrets, attempted coup. You know, so people are, are wondering to what depths US politics can fall at this point. It's important for people to understand that this charge is not just related to, you know, hush money. It is related to hush money paid to a porn star, but at that, there are felony charges possibly involved, and we're waiting for the charges to be unsealed, you know, because it's related to funding of the elections and the business fraud charges. We're not reporting these payments. And of course, there's direct testimony from Michael Cohen, his own lawyer who already had to serve time, that this was a part of damage control that was directly related to his campaign. 
So there's the bravado that was mentioned of Donald Trump coming out saying, our movement and our party, united and strong, will first defeat Alvin Bragg, now his new target, and then we'll defeat Joe Biden, and we're going to throw every last one of those crooked Democrats out of office so we can make America great again. I would hope that, as Al Sharpton says, this is a humiliating moment for Donald Trump, because it should be. He's facing charges for something he pretty clearly did. You know, there's there's direct testimony. And um, and that that involves breaking the law that, of course, a president and a presidential candidate is sworn to uphold. However, I'm really concerned that it won't be humiliating that in this megal, you know, this this egotistical world that he's constructed around himself he will actually be able to spin it. In fact, his campaign director has said, oh, we're not worried about this. You know, we've seen this kind of thing. Uh, dealing with these types and this direct coat of news cycles, you get, you get, you learn to get good at it. We have a full spectrum response operation on the campaign that can deal with anything that comes our way. So they're looking to turn it into the hype of persecution, which there's a huge part of the U.S. population that seems to be very responsive to that. Um, they're looking to make this a positive aspect of the campaign. Now, as you mentioned, this comes directly after launching the campaign itself uh, of an event in uh, Waco, Texas, which is, was apparently a somewhat subdued rally for Trump. There were thousands sitting in lawn chairs. We don't have the exact number. The folk, the speech was already focused on persecution. He repeated, repeated lies like we won in 2016. We won by more in 2020, but it was rigged. His supposed achievements as president. And again, there was this subliminal message that had to do with the fact that this was Waco, Texas, on the anniversary, 30 years after the federal and state law enforcement raid on the Branch Davidian uh, cult that was a 51-day siege. For many on the far right, right, this was an example of government overreach and persecution. There were 86 dead. All the facts are not, are, are not completely agreed on. But so he's using these kinds of symbols. That means we're faced now with two narratives that criminal justice is targeting a powerful man and the other one that the law has finally risen above the personal power of the man. These two narratives, never the twain shall meet in U.S. politics. That is to say that they reflect deeply embedded belief systems that are not going to come together, you know, that are going to be impervious to um, many of what we used to consider basic values in the United States. Uh, the New Yorker says, with this indictment, we've entered a new act in the saga, one in which Trump contemplates turning a potential perp walk into a campaign opportunity. Who else could envision finger, fingerprints, a mugshot, and cuffs as tools in an effort to consolidate the base? And it is very probable that uh, that is what will happen. So the world, and of course the nation, is watching what the next chapter in this saga will be. Right. And and Laura, just following up on that, what are the, the headlines like um, in um, where you are in Mexico on this? I mean, 
you know, we we know a lot of, um, certainly when it comes to the global south, of leaders being arrested and charged for corruption and, and more. Um, any <laughs> any things that you're hearing on the ground there, Laura? Well, yeah, quite a lot. I mean, the headlines are Trump indicted. There's a lot of confusion regarding the uh, implications that he, this has on the elections. And it turns out, according to legal experts in the United States, and it's an important fact, that there is no explicit ban on people who have been accused of a felony uh, running for office. So in the United States, there's very little understanding, of course, internationally or even nationally, that you have a situation where someone who has already served time for a felony, and in this case, it's very often black people, because that's who the criminal justice system targets, can be banned from voting, from even casting a vote for the rest of their lives after getting out of jail. And a powerful figure, a white man, you know, cannot be banned from running for the highest office in the country after being accused of a felony. Yeah, unbelievable. Jackie, Jackie Goldberg, uh, your thoughts on all this, the, the wider implications, including um, how the idea that some pundits are saying that actually this is a plus for Trump's reelection campaign. Jackie Goldberg. Well, I think it may help him in primaries. I'm not so sure it'll help him in a, in a general election. <clears throat> I also think that it's very interesting uh, how many people are rallying to the uh, defense in the Republican Party, including his opponents. But the one that I want to comment on is really DeSantis, because DeSantis said that uh, it's un-American, we're weaponizing the legal system, but then he said something no one else has said. He said that if there is a, an attempt to extradite him from Florida, we will not cooperate. Well, that's a much bigger problem than anything else that anybody else has said, in my opinion, <clears throat> because it says that I will undermine the continuous and ongoing practices of states uh, sending to each other indicted people by extradition uh, because I can choose to do so. I can violate uh, laws that require uh, states to work together uh, in this way. And so I, I, I'm very disturbed by DeSantis's comments. Uh, because everybody else is going to just say, oh, well, we're weaponizing a presumption of innocence. He's uh, unprecedented indict nothing but persecution. And the other thing DeSantis did was use Soros's name uh, to raise the, the specter for Trumpists that this is a Jewish conspiracy. So there's a lot going on in this support of uh, Trump that uh, is uh, really un-American and really an outrage itself. I think the other thing I would mention is, is that nobody uh, really wants to talk about the fact that this is not an unusual situation to have elected officials indicted. It happens all the time. It just hasn't happened to a president because of that weird rule uh, in the uh, Justice Department that you can't indict a sitting uh, president. But other than that, if you take a look at vice presidents, you take a look at uh, assembly members and states, you take a look at uh, people currently serving in Congress who themselves have been indicted. Uh, this is not an unusual thing. And people keep saying over and over again how unusual it is. The only thing that's unusual is, is that it's now an ex-president. Everybody else has uh, had their share in terms of the types of people 
And finally, I want to say one thing that's always bothered me also about this. This hush money had the effect of helping Trump get elected in a very, very close race in 2016. It's not clear what would have happened had all of this come out about all of his affairs. Um, certainly, it would not have done him any good or they wouldn't have paid the ransoms. Uh, they wouldn't have paid the amount of money. They wouldn't have uh, bought uh, what they did all the time, which was to find a bad article about to come out, get uh, Murdoch to buy the uh, the uh, thing for one of his papers, and then ki can't kill it. You know, it's called I think uh, trap and kill or something. Kill items. These are ways of influencing political outcomes in a very narrow political. Uh, a, a election of 2016. He did not win by overwhelming numbers. He lost in the popular vote by 3 million votes in 2016, but he also only narrowly won by very small numbers in uh, many of the uh, states that there are still uh, conflicts in over uh, elections. So I, I think that, th that we saw really from the beginning in 2016 of his attempt to say that I'm going to win even if I lose. And that led to the 2020 notion that I won, even though I lost. So I think this is all a, a, a big deal. The one thing that's probably going to be the most interesting is, is that nothing's going to happen after the indictment for a very long time. <clears throat> Excuse me, because it takes a while uh, for criminal cases to get uh, set and in time and for them to happen. Um, so I think that people are going to be uh, aware of all of this right now, but I think it'll kind of disappear for a while until there's actually some action, either in one of the other cases that he is facing or in um, what is happening there. I would say, though, that many people are pleased at least to see him finally indicted for something, and not because they are um, looking for revenge. They're... It, because it is some kind of way of saying that perhaps the criminal justice system, that notion that nobody is above uh, the law, is maybe actually going to have some hearing in our country. Right. And, and Jackie Goldberg, just a quick follow up. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? As you say, this, you know, this is going to take a while and it may actually help him in the uh, in the long run but also you you're mentioning the impact that it had on the election where he defeated Hillary Clinton that was so close i mean recall what happened to um Jimmy Carter um when it has now come out that people actually went and lobbied to make sure that the hostages that were held at the time, I think by around the, um, would not be released before the election to ensure that uh, Carter would lose, right? So I guess, uh, you know, Trump learned uh, from that. But so any comment on that? And, and also Netanyahu, wasn't he also uh, charged uh, criminally? And, and look where he is now. <laughs> Um, Jackie Goldberg, very quick comments here. I, I think Netanyahu is a good example of someone who says, well, if the system is going to hold me accountable for corruption, I'm going to change the system. I'm simply going to say that the courts can't do that anymore. Uh, and that's what's causing the enormous struggle in Israel right now. I think that uh, Trump would love a, like, a law like that as well. Absolutely. We're going to change the court system. 
We'll change the Congress. We'll change whatever we need to change as long as we can make sure it's clear that I don't held accountable for any of the things I'm done. He still runs around telling everybody he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and get away with it. I think this is the first time he's found out that maybe there are some people willing to indict him for crimes that he's actually committed. Right. Thank you, Jackie. And uh, Dr. Gerald Horn, I mean, your thoughts on all of this, the the wider implications, and also note that Al Sharpton uh, did mention the role that Donald Trump played in the these innocent uh, young men, Central Park, by spending so much time in prison, uh, Dr. Horn. Well, <clears throat> the latter is a case of chickens coming home to roost, is it not? But certainly the question of indicting the powerful, powerful leaders is not unknown across the world. A number of, of uh, South Korean leaders have been indicted and, in fact, jailed. In France, Mr. Sarkozy, the former president, is under a legal cloud. His predecessor, Jacques Chirac, was facing charges for embezzlement. We mentioned Israel, and, of course, a former Israeli prime minister, Ehud Olmert, was indicted, and, if I'm not mistaken, served time. But the consequences is something we need to chew on. Uh, for example, it's apparent that Netanyahu facing uh, charges and possible imprisonment is willing to overturn the entire country. You saw something similar in South Africa, where President Jacob Zuma was under a legal cloud and helped to unleash destabilizing riots in his home base of Durban in KwaZulu-Natal. And so the question is, will the 75 million strong Trump base take to the streets or alternatively, since we have a case of a local prosecutor going after a former president, will local prosecutors, for example, in Texas, uh, gin up some charges to go after uh, Joseph R. Biden? It could all descend into riotous uh, anarchy of a sort. Uh, Mr. Trump, of course, uh, is. if I were his lawyer, I would tell him to plea bargain. Um, because uh, that would be a way, since he hasn't served time before, for him perhaps to receive a, a slap on the wrist with the authorities, perhaps concerned about what I just mentioned, about his protesters taking to the streets and willing to give him a pass. Uh, speaking of the authorities, uh, the prosecutor, Alvin Bragg, as you know, has come under a very sharp assault by Mr. Trump. Uh, I trust and I hope that he has adequate security at his abode in Harlem. But we also know, uh, once again, looking at the global scene, that the late prime minister of India, Indira Gandhi, was actually killed by her security. So that's something that I hope Mr. Bragg looks into. I should also say that um, we may face the spectacle, although the timing does not necessarily work, of Mr. Trump uh, campaigning from a prison cell, uh, a la Eugene Debs, the socialist in 1920. Uh, that would be another irony of, of ironies. And finally, I would say that we obviously need a different analysis of the United States that explains why there was an attempted coup in 2021, uh, why we're talking about uh, one man being above the law, speaking of Mr. Trump and how he's receiving support from his party, his party leaders, et, et cetera. I mean, why are we telling our school children and others in classrooms as we speak 
about this great leap forward for humanity that was constructed in the late 18th century, this sturdy democratic republic, when the news all about us is saying something totally opposed to that nonsense. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Dr. Horne, just a quick follow-up here. I mean, there are a lot of unknowns, we, we, uh, but what we do know is that an indictment doesn't mean that he can't run for president, right? Maybe we'll know a bit more by um, Tuesday uh, about, you know, what all of the charges are. But uh, think about it for a moment that if he is found guilty of these charges— and think about for a moment if he, for some weird, re well, you know, the reasons why, perhaps, he gets another turn in the White House, right? Imagine him running the country. I mean, how would that work? Would he then be president from a prison cell or be under house arrest from the White House? I mean, there's a lot to wrap your head around here, Dr. Horn. Well, if he were in a prison cell, perhaps the 25th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution could be invoked that could allow him to be removed from office. But we know from the previous attempts to remove him from office through legal means, such as impeachment, that that failed. I mean, we need to come to grips with this reality that Mr. Trump has a mass base, 75 million people voted for him in 2020, Euro Americans across class lines, and that's going to be a very difficult hurdle to surmount. And so obviously we need to think about not only having a theory that explains how we got to this point, but then trying to figure out how we're going to dig ourselves out of this deep hole in which we find ourselves. Absolutely. All righty. On that note, we are going to take a station break, but right at the top of the station break, um, we are going to play our morning song that we often do here on Sojourner Truth. Um, when, well, we're mourning when, when someone uh, dies. And we, it is by from the album uh, Na Afriki. It's called uh, Lubu, and it's sung um, in the language of the Ivory Coast. And we are playing that today uh, because of the migrants, scores of migrants who um, died 38 in 28 uh 38 dead, 28 injured, um, because people were just allowed not to be able to escape um, a fire. Migrants, of course, who I understand were deported uh, from the United States are being held in uh, Mexico. Laura Carlson will be filling us in a bit more about that. So our morning song for them and uh, as well as a morning uh, a song for Randall Robinson, um, whom the world lost um, last Friday. Let us go now to Lubu. <laughs>
uh, host of Sojourner Truth. You're listening to KPFK 90.7 FM on the dial. We also want to welcome all of the Pacifica flagship uh, station listeners as well as affiliate listeners across the country. We are glad to have you. Um, it is our weekly roundtable. We're going to continue that in a moment. But if you've missed any part of this hour from 10 this morning for 90 days after that, just go to kpfk.org, scroll down to archives, click on Sojourner Truth. You'll be able to hear the show in its entirety, and you can subscribe for a free podcast. If you're a member of Facebook, you can like and friend us there. Our handle on Instagram and Twitter at So True Radio. You can check out our website at So True Radio.org. And we are heard uh, nationwide and internationally 24 7 on SoundCloud. And in the United States, we would like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Texas. Uh, internationally, we would like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners uh, south of the border, or SoundCloud listeners in Mexico or anywhere uh, south of the border. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. It is our weekly roundtable, and our panelists are Laura Carlson, Jackie Goldberg, Dr. Gerald Horn. Um, for the next round now, we're going to open it up by uh, playing uh, two clips, actually. First, we're going to go to a clip from NBC about the protests happening in Israel. And then we're going to go to a clip on the migrant uh, fire that recently happened. Let's go to those clips now. Tonight, thousands of protesters surrounding Israel's parliament in a sea of flags as a divided nation reaches what some fear may be a breaking point. The crowds demanding Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu abandon his plan to weaken Israel's Supreme Court. And we will protest every day in the week until we will win this crazy situation. Overnight blocking Tel Aviv's main highway, police using horses and water cannon to clear the way. The country paralyzed by an unprecedented general strike. Daycares, banks and restaurants closed and Israel's main airport shut down for outbound flights as workers walked off the job in protest. Netanyahu tonight forced into a partial concession, agreeing to delay his legislation, at least for now. Saying, when it's possible to prevent civil war through negotiations, I, as the prime minister, take time out for negotiations. But the prime minister is still under pressure from far-right members of his own government to keep going. This crowd of right-wing demonstrators has gathered in front of Israel's Supreme Court to support Benjamin Netanyahu. They want him to push ahead with his judicial overhaul, despite the massive opposition. And after news, Netanyahu would delay his plan to take more control over the court praise from the White House. So we welcome this announcement as an opportunity to create additional time and space for compromise. Uh, compromise is precisely what we have been calling for. Still, it's unclear if this Israeli political crisis is over or simply delayed. Disturbing new video showing detainees locked behind gates at a migrant center in Mexico as a deadly fire broke out. The blaze killed at least 40 people and was apparently started by migrants during a protest. CNN's Rafael Romo has our report. One by one, Mexican soldiers pull people out of the building. It quickly becomes tragically clear there's nothing they can do for some of them anymore. Mexican officials say more than three dozen migrants, mainly from Central and South America, died at this detention center after a fire swept through the building late Monday. 
Surveillance video from inside the detention center obtained by CNN shows how quickly the flames spread throughout the holding area after inmates set mattresses on fire. It also appears to show that those detained were behind bars with the gate locked. Quiero informar algo muy lamentable, muy triste. Calling the fire regrettable and sad, Mexican President Andrés Manuel López Obrador said the fire started Monday at 9.30 in the evening. Hours before, officials say 71 migrants living on the streets of Ciudad Juárez had been taken to the shelter. Esto tuvo que ver. The president added that the fire started after the migrants found out they were going to be deported. As a protest, the president said, the migrants put mattresses from the shelter against its door and set them on fire. They never imagined this was going to cause this terrible accident, he said. As first responders tried to save victims at the shelter, family members desperately tried to get any news from their loved ones outside the building. They're not telling us anything, this woman said. A relative of yours may die and they don't tell you anything at all. We've seen they've been pulling people out and we have no idea if they're alive or not, this man said. Ambulances have left one after the other and we know nothing and they give us no information. Located across the border from El Paso, Texas, Ciudad Juarez is a transit point where many immigrants from different parts of the world arrive daily, hoping to cross the Rio Grande to seek asylum in the United States. As it has been the case with other border towns in Mexico, there have been multiple riots and tense situations in the last few years due to the fact that there aren't enough shelters that can accommodate all of these migrants, and many end up living on the streets. Through a statement, the Guatemalan government says 28 of its citizens were among the dead. Irregular migration, the statement said, carries with it a number of risks that have once again become evident. Oh, well, um, Laura Carlson, we're going to start with you. Just such a horror and a tragic uh, story uh, adding to the stories that we're hearing um, coming out of Europe of migrants uh, trying to uh, cross from North Africa uh, to get into Europe. So many um, women, children, men drowned um, in leaking boats, uh, countries, Italy and others refusing um, to you know, rescue people. And now here you have this migrant fire, Laura Carlson. Well, first of all, Margaret, I want to thank you for that very beautiful and moving song for the great Randall Robinson, but also for the migrants who died in this fire. One of the major causes uh, for these kinds of events and for these deadly migration po policies that we're seeing in Mexico and in the United States, in fact, in large part imposed from the by the United States on Mexico, is that people are, are losing compassion. They're beginning to see uh, these people, the people who are in situation of mobility, who are forced to flee as disposable lives, because that's really what the narrative is of the governments. The latest figures that we have are approximately are 39 dead. 
Um, you know, there's there's mothers that have been have died in the hospital since the incident, and the Mexican government is calculating or is calling this a homicide. There've been five people arrested, three are government government officials, two are private security guards, because again. This is a detention center where private security company was in charge, given a contract for that. And one is the migrant who supposedly uh, lit one of the mattresses on fire. There's a huge uproar about the fact that the migrant who just got out of the hospital has also been charged because, of course, a fire like this would never be deadly if it were not for the fact that these people were behind bars. And you can see in that video, which is shocking, that the guards are walking in front as the room fills up with smoke and the migrants are rattling the bars literally to get out. And they're looking at their phones and they're making sure that the doors are locked. So there are criminal responsibilities here. There's no doubt about that. But the problem is that this is not just an isolated case of some callous guards who failed to open the doors and let the migrants out to save their lives. This is something that's been happening. It happens in detention centers in Mexico, and it happens in detention centers in the United States, that there is no concern for the lives of the people here and migratory policies that criminalize people who have a right to move from one country to another, to find safety, to find a future for their children are being turned into criminals that are held behind bars and often not without trials and without even laws that would back up that practice. In Mexico, this is an administrative fault. It's not even a crime to be a migrant or to be in the country without uh, specific kinds of papers. And so the practice of using detention centers in this way in, in which, again, by law, People should only be there for 36 hours maximum, but they're there often for much longer periods of time, is a practice that, again, has been imported from the United States. The U.S. role is critical here. We just did a program on the Spanish language television program, and we got together the uh, people from with a U.S. perspective, critical of the migratory policies there from Mexico and from Guatemala, where that number, the government says 28, we're not exactly sure of the exact number, but most of them are indigenous people from Mayan communities in Guatemala. And we have both the U.S. government, Ken Salazar, the ambassador, the president of Guatemala, coming out saying that uh, um, this is just another proof that people should not be migrating. So we have this blame the victim attitude, echoing the words stay home of Kamala Harris as if this were going to resolve the entire migration um, dilemma. I'm not going to say crisis because having migrants come into your country is not a crisis and it's not a national security threat. Um, and we have a, a, a trap that's been formed, that causes multiple forms of death for migrant people, whether it's in the desert or somewhere else. The U.S. Refugee Agency in January already warned the Biden administration that his practice of expanding Title 42, which is the prohibition to enter the United States supposedly because of COVID, which everyone knows has nothing to do with COVID, is um, is very dangerous and that it's not in line with refugee law standards because they're denying 
the ability to request asylum. Now there's a situation where the White House is expelling up to 30,000 migrants a month. And the Mexican government has agreed to that for fear of economic reprisals. So, of course, there's this bottleneck at the border towns where people are, are accumulating. They have nowhere to go. They can't go home. They can't go to the United States. And life is almost impossible there in Mexico with this just being the latest example. Their reports are saying that there are 30 shelters in Ciudad Juarez, which of course is just right across the border from El Paso, that can that can house about 5,600 people, but there are over 15,000 migrants in the city that are basically just stuck there. Right. This is a situation that's been caused by migration policies. So treating it as just, you know, like I said, a criminal case, Margaret, is, is not going to lead to any kind of long-term solution. Wow, thank you for that, uh, Laura Carlson, a lot to unpack there. And uh, Dr. Gerald Horn, we're going to go to you next. By the way, um, the panelists did choose some specific areas that they wanted to discuss today. Um, Dr. Horn, um, any thoughts then? We have uh, Vice President Kamala Harris on the continent in, in Africa. Um, various global realignments uh, going on. Um, we lost Randall Robinson. Some quick thoughts from you on all this. Well, certainly the loss of Randall Robinson is a gigantic uh, setback to the movement. You know that he embodied the anti-apartheid movement. He campaigned relentlessly on behalf of sovereignty and independence for Haiti, and he will be sorely missed. Now, with regard to Vice President Harris, it's clear that her spending so much time in Africa has everything to do with this new Cold War against China and Russia. But I should also say that there are other forces active on the continent as well, which Washington is watching, including uh, India, which is quite active on the Indian Ocean coast, and uh, Turkey, or Turkey, uh, which is quite active in many of the Northwestern African nations that have uh, Muslim majorities. However, with regard to this global alignment and the rise of China in particular, uh, you know, of course, that the president of Taiwan, Tsai Ing-wen, the uh, island off the coast of uh, southern China, which China claims as its own, but which uh, purports to be uh, sovereign and independent, uh, she's spending time in the United States as we speak. Supposedly, she will be meeting with Speaker McCarthy in Los Angeles uh, rather shortly. China pledges retaliation. Uh, it's unclear what form that retaliation will take, but let's hope that things do not look more ominous than they do today. At the same time, the head of the opposition party in Taiwan, the KMT, is spending 12 days in China as we speak. Elections are taking place in a few months. That raises the tantalizing possibility that there will be a change of party in power in Taiwan. After all, the KMT has ruled Taiwan more years than the present party uh, since the Chinese Revolution of 1949. And so that raises the tantalizing possibility once again that all of these arms that the United States is shifting to Taiwan may come under the aegis of the KMT, which is now in bed with the People's Republic of China, but perhaps even more damaging to U.S. interests is that 
the major manufacturer of these chips, which power your smartphone and many cars, are made in Taiwan, TSMC, although they're about to build a factory in Arizona. And so if there is a change of regime in Taiwan, that could mean that Beijing uh, would be an ultimate beneficiary. At the same time, there's no united front in the North Atlantic countries with regard to this new Cold War against China. President Macron is leaving his difficulties in Paris and jetting off to China. Supposedly, he says, and I have to stifle a giggle, that he's going to China uh, not to cut deals, but to save China from the evil empire, speaking of Moscow. Uh, Prime Minister Sanchez is also en route to China. Ursula von der Leyen, the head of the European Commission, a powerful European Union body, is on her way to China. The, Saudi, the Saudis are talking about uh, ditching the so-called petrodollar, which has been essential to the rise of the U.S. economy uh, since it was inaugurated a few decades ago in favor of trading uh, their precious commodities, speaking of petroleum and the Chinese currency, which is becoming a global trend. And at the same time, the BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, a counterpoint to the group of seven led by the United States, Canada, the Western Europeans, and Japan, the BRICS is expanding. It may come to include the Turkey, Saudi Arabia, perhaps Indonesia. And so there is, as you suggested, a global re realignment taking place and what is the ultimate meaning is something we need to contemplate. Right. Thank you for that uh, sharp analysis there, Dr. Horn. And uh, Jackie Goldberg, we're going to uh, wrap up with you because there seems to be some reaction now to the days of mass protests uh, that have been happening um, in Israel. Jackie Goldberg. Yes. Well, of course, uh, uh, there is a pause that is going on at the moment. I think uh, it's actually after uh, the strike uh, was so successful in shutting down the entire nation um, that uh, Netanyahu finally realized that he really can't go forward without uh, perhaps leading to literally civil war. Remember, almost everybody in Israel has been trained, every adult has been trained in the military. So it's not like you couldn't actually have a civil war in Israel, which no one wants to see. But I think the most important news is that Biden has now bluntly warned Netanyahu, quote, you cannot continue down this road of overhauling our, your judiciary. And of course, Netanyahu responded by saying, we're a sovereign country, and I don't care even if you're good friends whether we're going to take your advice or not. I think one of the things that's finally coming to light is, is that it's a public outbreak. Uh, of uh, what has actually been going on in private. The two are not friends, Netanyahu and Biden. Remember that during the 2020 election, Netanyahu made no particular effort to hide his backing for Trump, uh, and he noticed that he gets everything he wants. People don't remember that the United States, under Biden, under every president, gives Israel about $3 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars of aid every year, including weapons of all types. And that this is now a very uh, unlikely crisis because in our relationship with Israel, because uh, everybody has seen that uh, everybody supports Israel. What's happened, however, is, is that there is a big change within the United States. A February Gallup poll showed 49% of registered Democrats who answered the poll's questions are more sympathetic to Palestinians than they are to the Israelis. That is an enormous change 
and that is being reflected in the Congress by Democrats asking Biden to uh, do something about the fact that not just that this judicial is taking place, but that they are going to now go back to a part of northern part of the West Bank and permit settlement, settlement of an area that was cleared out in 2005. This is a potentially explosive provocation to the Palestinians. And if this happens, if in fact they permit that settlement to go back into that northern part of the occupied West Bank, we could see another literally intifadia going on. So this is a very dangerous time for Israel, and it's coming in good part because of uh, Netanyahu's far, far right-wing government insisting that they do things that the uh, majority of Israelis do not support. However, I don't want to be unclear. There are a lot of Israelis who are right-wing who support Netanyahu's uh, judiciary stuff. So the possibility of literally clashes between the right and everybody else in Israel, armed clashes, is not impossible. This is a very complicated situation, but it is one in which Netanyahu, in order to try to keep him from having to face charges of corruption, is willing to do almost anything almost anything in Israel's politics. And that's just unbelievable. Yeah, yes, indeed. And thank you for that, uh, Jackie Goldberg. And in fact, another fascinating roundtable. I'd like to thank each and every one of our panelists. It really is an honor to have uh, each of you on. You contribute uh, so much and you are so very much appreciated by our listeners. So thank you so much for joining us. We are out of time now. Um, our, today's show produced by me, that's Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank our assistant producer, uh, Jose Benavides, and our board up uh, for today. Uh, let's see. Um, Yes, <laughs> our board up for today. Thank you, Gary Baca. Thank you so much. If you'd like a copy of today's show, please contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at 1-800-735-0230. Go online to pacificaradioarchives.org. Stay tuned for more programming on this station. Sojourner Truth will be back on the air on Tuesday. Thank you for listening. I hope you get to do something really nice this weekend. Stay well and safe. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Inferior is finally and permanently discredited.